Welcome to episode 25 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies Podcast. I am your co-host, The Father, also known as Pastor Matt, a.k.a. Matt Rawlings. As always, I am joined by my trusty co-host, Jackson the Son, and the graveyard staff would like to inform the public that closing is, in fact, encouraged on the premises. (laughs) Very good, and we're excited this week because we're joined by a special guest. This week by Barely Ashley. How are you, Ashley? I'm doing really great. How are you guys? I'm great. I'm great. No complaints. (laughs) All right. Well, warnings. Uh, We are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we discuss. And today we are talking about Ashley's pick from 1985, Return of the Living Dead. They were resting in peace until they were rudely interrupted. What do you want to do, Scud? Put on the gray stone? This is a party! This place is a mess. Now look who's awake. They're on the way. They're back from the grave and ready to party. I think things are getting out of here. The Return of the Living Dead, rated R. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Check your local newspaper for times. So tell me, Ashley, why is this your pick? It is my favorite movie of all time. Um, and I, when I'm thinking about it, I think it's because the movie's a little ridiculous and I'm kind of like a ridiculous human being. So, <laughs> like, Perfect. Trauma, yeah, so... The outwardly um, trauma inside, just pure humor. So <laughs> that's basically for me as a person. <laughs> so it's just got the perfect tone for you. Yeah, yeah. And I love punk rock. So, I mean, everything about it is just amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. We, we're not going to close out this podcast without talking about the soundtrack. Um, Jackson, what's your overall impression? Well, this is my second time seeing it. The first time was actually earlier this year, and I had no idea what to expect. I knew it was kind of it had a comedic tone in some parts, but I didn't expect it to be this comedic, especially in some scenes. Um, but surprisingly, when it when it is a horror movie, like when it's straight horror, I think it succeeds. It's really terrifying, uh, especially zombies like Tar Man. I think he's become really iconic. Oh yeah. So the film, if for some reason you haven't seen it, which I said we're a spoiler podcast, and if you haven't seen this and you call yourself a horror fan, you just need to repent. How dare you? <laughs> um, it revolves around two different, basically two different cast of characters, a couple of warehouse workers who unwittingly spark a zombie apocalypse and a group of punks, literally, who are hanging out in a nearby graveyard, which is the worst place to be at the outbreak of a zombie uh, apocalypse. So the background to this was that, you know, John Russo and George Romero had a kind of falling out, business kind of falling out, professional falling out. Romero could make dead movies, but Russo owned the rights to the title of The Living Dead. Of course, Argento comes in and saves Romero's bacon to do Dawn of the Dead. Russo worked for a decade and a half to come up with a script and funding for Return of the Living Dead. And one of the twists provided by Dan O'Bannon, best known for co-writing Alien and being one of John Carpenter's best pals for a while at USC Film School, is that you can't kill these zombies with a shot to the head. In fact, they're almost indestructible. And I don't know how many of you listened to Eli Ross' History of Horror podcast where they had the unedited interviews of some of those from the documentary. Quentin Tarantino let it slip that he hates that twist what do you think of that ashley what do you think of the twist um why does he hate it i haven't heard that like what was the the thing around that he hated that he thought he that thought o'bannon that. changed the rules he changed the rules i 
I love what he did with it, to be honest. Like, this is my favorite type of zombie. So, I disagree completely. <laughs> like, I, I got you. Yeah. What about you, Jackson? I like it. Uh, I like the idea that if you kill one, if you incinerate it, you know, the ashes are, the ashes are just going to go back up into the air, then rain down on the corpses and reanimate those. So you can't, it's, it's cyclical almost. That's what scared me the most as a kid, because when I was a kid, I was terrified of this movie. Like I had like horrible nightmares. <laughs> it traumatized me in a way I can't really explain. Um, and that was one of the things it was like never ending. It could never end. So I would just remember being like, this child laying in bed thinking about this and I was like even if they did this thing it's not gonna stop it it's just gonna keep going so I love that yeah I agree it, I never minded it and but um yeah I think it is a lot more scary I mean you can't reach for a katana sword you know you can't reach <laughs> for a rifle I mean nothing's really going to stop these things unless you somehow figure out a way to kind of rope them and put them into a crate right I mean that's it's like what fluffy from creep show right <laughs> <laughs> it's all you can do um I, yeah i've never minded it i loved when i watched the documentary uh last week uh more brains and o'bannon you know kind of spun it that the dead are after endorphins it was like a drug yeah. and you know this is during the 80s and they're the just say no campaign so i thought that was pretty clever oh yeah the satire in this is amazing and that's another thing I like because I love satire, like political or otherwise. So mm -hmm. if there's satire in something. I'm all about it. For sure. I, I absolutely agree. It, it, the tone here, Jackson, I mean, do you do you like the I mean, the first time you saw it, were you prepared that this was both like real horror and real comedy? Were you prepared for that going in? Did you know? No, not quite. I thought maybe there was going to be like one or two one-liners that were kind of funny, which is the same with Dawn of the Dead. People will have fun with that. It's kind of a, it's, but it's not a comedy movie like this is. I would say this is this is comedy horror, um, and the reason I would say that is because it balances tones so perfectly, and that you're with. Um, uh, Freddie and Frank in the warehouse and they're just kind of joking around and in the next scene you see corpses animating and strangling people and you know just terrifying stuff that balances that so perfectly uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't prepared for it but I definitely wasn't shocked to the point where I wanted to turn it off it was a pleasant surprise yeah I now originally so the original plan was that John Russo had was Dan, Dan O'Bannon was going to write it but Toby Hooper was going to direct it Yes, yes. I was watching that. Um, so I have that documentary you were referencing, and I just thought that was amazing. I'm like, what would this have been if Toby could have done it? Yeah, was that, I mean, Ashley, would you would have, would, I, I mean, I know this, obviously this is your favorite movie, but are you curious about what Hooper would have done with it? I am, because I've had that documentary for a few years, and I've thought about a lot, and I'm just, I'm wondering what direction it would have taken because he's pretty dark in a way. Um, yeah, absolutely. But yeah. he did at the same time. I mean, you've got, I mean, how do you see, and maybe you don't even like the movie, but uh, about that time, about the same time, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. What did you think of that tone? I actually really like that one. So it kind of, it may have been a lot of the same, if you think about it. Because that movie's pretty silly, too. I love oh. it. 
It, yeah, you love it, right? I mean, I love it too. I know that some people haven't. I did get a message from Doctor Shock that said he has warmed up to Texas Chainsaw Massacre too, which is, <laughs> I, I count that as a victory. But because um, I, I loved, I've always loved it. I thought obviously Hooper was going for some comedy. I mean, there's nothing else to explain. Dennis right. Hopper going through basically a crypt with a chainsaw singing yeah. hymns. You know, I mean, <laughs> and Chop Top, of one top. of the best characters of all time. Chop Top for sure. Yeah. Oh, um, absolutely. Go ahead, Ashley. Doctor Shock. I just anytime we talk about Texas Chainsaw, like I have to <laughs> to make a joke about number four because I feel like it really like, <laughs> there's some health complications to even mention it. So hi, Doctor Shock. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. I but I have to agree. I hate that movie with a passion too. I've told us I hate Texas Chainsaw Massacre four. I can't stand it. But oh well. Back to this. The cast here. It's got a kind of an unlikely pairing. I mean, you have Tom Matthews who would go on to play Tommy from Jason Lives, with James Karen and 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 Clue Gallagher. I mean, that's an odd combination, don't you think, Ashley? It's so weird, but it's so epic. Like, just think about all of those people together. It's just, I don't know. I love it. I love everything about this. I was <laughs> like, you can hear it in my voice. I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Jackson, what do you think of that pairing over there at the warehouse? Oh, it's fantastic. It's, it's really funny to me that everybody was just on board with this idea. Um, <laughs> the comedy, comedy zombie movie, are you in? Of course we're in. Everybody was in. And it's interesting to me, uh, Miguel Nunez and Mark... Venturini, I don't know how to say that name. They were both in Friday Five, and then Tom Matthews went on to be in Friday Part Six. It's kind of like a tradition that people that were in Return of the Living Dead, I don't know which came first, Part Five, Friday the Thirteenth Part Five, or Return of the Living Dead. But it's kind of interesting to me that um, so many alum alumni from this movie went on to the Friday the Thirteenth series. Sure. Yeah, and I yeah, New Beginning I think came out the same year as Return of the Living Dead, if I'm not mistaken. I think they were both '85. Um, and then you have Jason Lewis comes out the next year. So, you know, they've got that. What amazes me is like, so Clue Gallagher, you know, he gets there kind of late. I think he said he got there like two days before filming or something like that, or maybe even a day that filming began. And Dan O'Bannon wanted Leslie Neeson to play. If you remember, if you remember Leslie Neeson from Airplane. Yeah. I don't think it would have worked. I don't either. No, he's too goofy. And it, it works with Clue Gallagher, in my opinion, despite the fact that apparently Clue Gallagher and Dan O'Bannon did not get along. Each other. They hated each other. I love yeah. it. <laughs> uh, it's amazing. Yeah, because everybody else seemed to sing O'Bannon's praises to a degree. But I mean, yeah, Clue Gallagher just could not stand the guy. And they just didn't get didn't get along. I, Jackson, would, are you glad it's Clue Gallagher and not uh, uh, not the detective from Naked Gun? <laughs> sure. I mean, yeah, I'm happy with the casting. I'm intro I want to see in the same way. Did you hear about that whole Kazam thing where people were convinced that a movie called Kazam existed, so they actually made it? No. <laughs> well, um, okay. So, little quick backstory. This is a little bit of a tangent, but uh, Space Jam and Shazam, those two movies came out the same year, and people got them mixed up in their heads and made a movie called Kazam that they were convinced actually existed. So they actually made like a like a TV spot with the characters that they were convinced were actually in the movie. Anyways, what I want to see is Return of the Living Dead with Wesley Nielsen from uh, Airplane and Naked Gun. 
Let's, get, <laughs> let's just let's get that somehow. Oh no! <laughs> if, if they ever remake this in any way, I'm just going to cry. Just I don't know. Just don't touch uh, it. Just as an experiment, maybe as a YouTube video. As a YouTube video, okay, okay. You do it though. <laughs> there you go. What I can do. You got to find a Leslie Neeson, uh, yeah. Leslie Nelson stand-in to do. Uh, yeah. yeah, I'll, I'll do a, I'll do a uh, what do they call that? Uh, deep fake. I'll do a deep fake of his face. <laughs> there you go. So then you have the punks. You have Lania Quigley, you got Miguel Nunez, Beverly Randolph, etc. Uh, as the punks. Um, Ashley, who who's your favorite group in this? So. Um, so my favorite group, as in character group, it would definitely be the punks. Um, that was, that's just my thing, though. Like, I'm wearing a Misfits hoodie right now. So <laughs> that's just my whole identity. So, yeah, I love that. And I am so the Tina, though. Like, she's just so, like, plain and ordinary, like, bubbly girl. Yeah. That's really kind of my personality, like at work and things. So if people like saw me outside of work, they'd be like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> yeah. Have you have you always kind of identified with Tina since seeing this? Yeah, because I'm very like a quiet type, shy person. So I'm very much like on the outside her, but on the inside, maybe more like um, not trash because she's just way out there. But the other one, <laughs> trash is way out there. Yeah. Uh, Jackson, which do you prefer one or the other? Do you like both equally? What do you, what do you think? Oh, uh, man, that's tough. I like the antics of the punks, but I think overall, um, Tom Matthews and that whole group, they're more relatable maybe because um, I wouldn't break into a graveyard and party there with flares <laughs> while blasting music. I don't think that's something I would do. I wouldn't go that far. But I can see myself getting into some medical supply hijinks, you know, accidentally <laughs> creating a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> did it all like you're the one that's like oh i accidentally just like created a huge problem yeah no problem i'll post about it on my snapchat story (laughs) oh man yeah i love both actually equally um it took me a while at first i i I really love tom matthews james karen and and clue gallagher and the mortician we have to talk about the mortician yes yes Oh, he's fantastic. And if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he the hitman from Weekend at Bernie's? Yes, he is. Okay. All right. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, he's wonderful. And you can obviously tell that Clue Gallagher may have been a little confused about what he got into, but you can tell the mortician gets that this is horror comedy. (laughs) I love every, like, he's just sitting there, like, working on that body, listening to some, like, weird opera, just, like, getting down. Like, that's his thing, and I loved it. Like, the introduction to him in this is amazing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, in the documentary, and I don't know, Jackson, have you seen the documentary More Brains? I didn't get the chance to watch it. I told myself I was going to, but I lied. Okay. It is on YouTube, uh, but if you if you have to scout it out there. But in the documentary, the one kind of crack on this other than, um, you know, there's there are com- kind of conflicting reports about whether this was a good shoot or a troubled shoot. Yeah. Um, but w- one thing is for sure, Beverly Randolph had a creepy audition. Yes, she did. Oh, yeah. Because she oh. like, went to Dan's house. 
Yes, and he was he had guns out and he was playing pornography on the TV. And see, yeah. so her, I would have ran away. I would have been like, I'm scared. I need an adult. Yeah, yeah, no <laughs> joke. Uh, no joke, man. Yes, yeah, she's had kind of a Harvey Weinstein type encounter, and that's yeah. that. You know, unfortunately, is the only thing that kind of colors this. But other than that, you know, it, it's a shame if you've read. And Jackson, I know you. You've read Shock Value, um, mm-hmm. which mentions Dan O'Bannon a lot, especially his relationship with John Carpenter. Um, you know, Dan O'Bannon may not have been the nicest guy in the world, and based on what Beverly Randolph said, maybe he should have been drummed out of Hollywood altogether. But, you know, that aside, I mean, you can't deny the guy's talent. I mean, this is the guy who also wrote Alien. Right. And it's that, that's incredible. I haven't read with um, Shock Value. I need to read that. But I was wondering, like, I didn't get the whole story from that. If, if it's something, like, he set up or I, I don't know. Yeah, she didn't really seem to know. I mean, she just said, now she did say that later on, you know, one of the things that freaked her out was the guns. And then she realized people told her later, said, no, that's just Dan. Dan just has guns everywhere all the time. That's what, that's his thing. And, and she was like, oh, okay. But the pornography thing is a little over the top regardless. That's kind of creepy. Um, but if you, yeah, if you read Shock Value, one of the things that comes out is he was never in good health. Um, and I can't remember Jackson, maybe you can remember, was it Crohn's disease or something yeah, yep. he had? It was a something Crohn's like disease. that. Yeah. yeah. Some, some kind of like bowel problem and that he was in constant pain. Yeah. So I can't cut the guy slack for sexual harassment, but I do empathize with anybody who's in constant pain like that and ends up pulling off a movie like this. I mean, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> so. I mean- did say that she felt kind of abused through the whole thing like because he would just yell at her and all kinds of stuff but she didn't know at the time she could speak up so maybe he just had a problem (laughs) yeah he was i mean if you read the book john carpenter kind of severed his relationship with him because he he also had some personality issues Uh, um sounds like he may have been slightly bipolar maybe or something he but he certainly wasn't getting counseling or medication for it and so he sounds like he could be a little you know he could his moods could swing rather violently and um that's a shame that a first-time actress has to go through anything like that but i mean watching the movie now um actually having watched the documentary and then watching the movie i mean you can see where this was a tough shoot for her and everyone else right yeah definitely especially when the scene where she has to like fall in that huge mud hole in the cemetery like she said that she's had to do it over and over and over and over and over and she was just so like dismayed by it and when you watch it again you're you just like you try to block that out but uh yeah you think man like they had a hard time for sure doing this yeah and and on top of that even though they shot it's set in louisville but it was shot in la yeah um and you know i remember being shocked when i moved out to la la is cold at night um it's a desert climate and in a desert climate when there's no sun it gets cold really quick. So not only was she having to do this over and over again with, you know, cold rain machines pouring on her, but it was probably under 50 degrees the entire time. Oh my God. Yeah, that's, that's like pure abuse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so Jackson, you're not supposed to do that to your actors now, buddy, okay? When you get Noted. out of film school. <laughs> sure, I'll write that down. 
<laughs> you have to write that down. Yeah, uh, we need to have a talk when you're home. Uh, <laughs> so this movie, one of the things, the innovations is not just that they're pretty much unkillable. It starts the trope of zombie eating brains, right? I don't remember this that before this. Do you, Ashley? No, it certainly did start that. And it's kind of amazing because it's everywhere in pop culture, but no one really knows that it came from this unless you're like a diehard horror fan. So I'm just like, no, that came from my favorite movie. That's where that started. Um, and now it's just kind of a thing. Yeah. Jackson, did you know that? Yeah, I I was once I'd seen Night of the Living Dead and I realized that the brains aspect wasn't really a big thing other than getting shot in the head. Um, you kind of trace the footsteps and, and you find Return of the Living Dead. That's that's the originator. Maybe it had been mentioned in other movies before, but this made it the trope. Yeah, absolutely. too. if you watch the documentary, I mean, it's even in what was it The Simpsons? Yes, yeah, Simpsons like that's iconic. So <laughs> everywhere. Oh man! And while we're you know talking about iconic, we have to mention a few things. And the first one is you brought it up earlier, Jackson, and so I'll I'll throw it over to you first. Tarman, mm-hmm. Tarman, which, which I was shocked to learn was an actor, it and is. not not animatronics. No, yep. it was an actor. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah, the effects in this movie are just fantastic. I mean, Tarman and the half-corpse in the slab, just so unsettling. And and especially the standout effect of the whole movie is when um, Tarman is in that capsule and it's melting, and that you can see the frost and blood melt off his face. Ugh, it's just yeah. amazing. We need more f- effects like that in filmmaking today. I think Absolutely. I read somewhere that that was like a candle wax, and they just melted it over a period of time. And that is 100% my favorite scene. Just the way that melts off. I love it. It reminds me of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know, the face melting scene at the end there. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, this was done, you know, so many of these effects were done, you know, purely practical. And we have to talk about that. Another kind of sad part of the film, and Ashley, you, you of course know this, is the original effects you know, guy couldn't pull it off because they were too complicated. Yep. Yeah, and what was his name? They had to get someone else, and they just, like, clicked. Um, He's in that documentary, but, yeah, they just couldn't do it. And I thought that was amazing because, I mean, look at the effects. It is crazy. These zombies are amazing. That's my favorite look. And I'm super into those old, like, EC comics in the first place. So oh yeah. when I saw those, I was like, yes, this is this is what I want. And... I do not like modern zombie movies where it's either CGI or they just look too human, I guess. Um, this is my favorite. So you're not a big fan of World War Z, huh? Of the... <laughs> oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, I mean, but it's amazing to me because, you know, in the mid-80s, this is the heyday of practical effects, and you had effect shops everywhere, and the guys were really good, and they were really competitive. They were always competing with each other, especially Savini to get into Fangoria, to get their name out there. And that's something that really is in Dan O'Bannon's kind of column is these effects were so complicated that an effect, uh, an experienced effects guy couldn't pull them off. Yeah. I was reading, or maybe I saw this somewhere, that one of their biggest uh, O's that they just could not get past, um, the body 
that you only see the feet, like the shoes, and um, it's like the rain is dripping down. Like the shoes are so clean. They're like, why did we do that? Like we did all these amazing things, and then we have these like super clean shoes. <laughs> like that was their big like. <laughs> they met. There's errors in every masterpiece, right? I mean, Jackson, you need to take note of this. I mean, even Citizen Kane. You know, they hear his last words as Rosebud, but there's nobody in the room to hear them. And people pointed out is how they know his last words. He he says the words and dies, and then the nurse comes in. Um, that could have been easily fixed, you know. <laughs> so it happens, you know. It just it just happens. And so uh, the other one that comes to mind is that I was just talking about this this morning. Is I think Jackson, you correct me if I'm wrong, but even in the theatrical cut of Star Wars, A New Hope, you can still hear Mark Hamill call Princess yep, Leia Harry. Harry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> over the years, people, they've, people have tried to tell me that he's just saying hey in a really weird way, not Carrie, but it's Carrie. He's saying Carrie. I don't know why, with all of the changes to the special editions that were totally, you know, unwarranted, why they didn't take out the Carrie line, because that's one that could have actually used an edit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No comment on those. Um, <laughs> and the um, irony that the people who edited went on to do THX, right? The sound design <laughs> for Dolby. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Ashley. What did you want to say? So there's another one where, like, the initial scene where the rain starts coming down there in the graveyard and that skeleton pops out. Like, you can clearly see, like, the, the bar or whatever they're using to control it. That's always uh, been me. Um, I don't know if anyone else knows that, but... I used to bring this movie to like every sleepover. So that was like when that came up and we saw that, that was the funniest thing to us. Like, I don't know, 10 year olds. I was that person. <laughs> oh, wow. You were, ha how old were you when you first saw this movie? Oh my God. I was probably seven. <laughs> were you really? Yes. So my mom, I, the only thing I share with my mother is the horror. Like she's the one who got me into that. And I've been watching this stuff since birth, I'm sure. So, yeah, it's this part of me. I'm jealous, you know, because I, I I could only watch universal horror movies and until I was like eight or nine and then hammer horror movies. And I had to sneak away to watch slashers at sleepaways, sleepovers myself. So, um, <laughs> had that stuff. Like, I was the one, like, bringing in the contraband. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure all the other parents just loved my mother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So, I, I think I, I saw this first on VHS because it didn't even come to a theater around here in the small town where I grew up before I took off to L.A. So I saw it on VHS when I was like 14, but still absolutely. And, and here's one of the things Jackson and I have talked about. I wonder if now, Ashley, I don't know how old you are, but you probably first saw this what on DVD or? No, VHS. So I'm 34, but. OK, uh, you saw it first on VHS. So did it make a could you tell? Uh, those errors more even on VHS? Yeah, you can. Uh, I think especially if you're just a silly kid looking for anything to laugh about at 2 a.m. Uh -huh. Yeah. <laughs> so, I got um, you. Yeah. And I still have VHS because I'm that person. Like, I have records and VHS. So I still watch these on VHS. It's my favorite way to view it, really. So. Really? So you, your favorite way to watch this is on VHS? Yeah. That That's is awesome. Feel. Like, you don't get the feel from, like, a Blu-ray. You just don't. It has to be VHS. 
we may have to have make that happen for us, Jackson, when you're home. We need to watch this on VHS. So sure. I, I do have an old TV VHS player, so maybe we can dig one out. But uh, yeah, I saw it on VHS. But one of the things we've spoken about is, you know, one of the downfalls of going from VHS to DVD and now to Blu-ray and I had the opportunity to hear Tom Savini talk about this when I was up in New Jersey was that, you know, he talks about how much better Friday the 13th, his effects work in Friday 13th look on VHS than on Blu-ray, because unlike Blu-ray, you can clearly see that like that's Kevin Bacon's head sticking through a mattress with a fake body, whereas on VHS, it's kind of blurry and you can't really tell. Yeah, the grainy texture really like set that stuff off. Practical effects look best to me on VHS. So. What do you think, Jake? What do you think, Jackson? Oh yeah, and and we've talked about like with Sleepaway Camp, whenever they've put it on Blu-ray and you know up to the the contrast and the highlights and stuff, where you can see in one scene uh, what who the character is that's stabbing somebody else, and it's not actually the killer; it's somebody else. How they used to rely on stunt doubles and stuff like that when their face are masked in darkness or, or something like that. You couldn't see it on VHS, but you can nowadays. So it's kind of disappointing. It ruins the, you know, kind of ruins the immersion. And um, another thing is with practical effects, uh, you can see fishing line and stuff when they have it on these new like 4K Ultra HD things. Like if you watch uh, A New Hope, in the original format on 4K Ultra HD, you can see the fishing line and uh, little pole bars underneath the X-wing, so it kind of ruins it. Yeah. Oh no! Ugh, oh, oh, that's heartbreaking. Absolutely heartbreaking. So, well, the effects are amazing. We agree on that, and we've got to talk about before we just open it up. We got to talk about a couple things about this movie. Two, the two of the other coolest things about this movie. First of all, the poster. How cool is the poster for this yes. movie? So I have that everywhere. It's like I have the poster. It's like my background on Twitter. It's my background on my phone. Like I have tons of shirts. That is, I'm probably getting a tattoo of that. It's like I have, it's, oh, everything. I love it. <laughs> it, it's, it what do you think, Jackson? I like it. It's it's iconic. And looking at it, it almost looks like it's going to be a college party movie uh, because it says they're back from the grave and ready to party. And I kind of, I'm kind of curious about what that movie would be. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think it's, I really think it's one of the four or five best horror movie posters of all time. I mean, I think it's way up there. For sure. Um, speaking about the what what that movie would look like, maybe like the later iterations, like Rave to the Grave or something. It's not oh good. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm getting a copyright on that. <laughs> Rave to the Grave. Um, yeah, I, I absolutely love the poster. That's what grabbed me. I remember I, I didn't hear that much about the movie. I had to sneak Fangoria's into my house being a preacher's kid when I was like 13, 14. So, you know, I tried to put up a couple of Fangoria posters and my parents just thought that I was a heroin addicted axe murderer. And so I had to take them all down. They were like looking for like pentagrams in my room or something. And so I, I had to sneak Fangoria's. I didn't know that much about this movie. I mean, this is the eighties. This is pre-internet. This is, and I'm just walking through my little mom and pop video shop and I see that cover, that poster. I'm like, Oh, I have to see oh, this. That is 100%. Like <laughs> looking at it as a kid, you're like, Oh, I like this. And it's definitely like a street punk thing. So I just love all of that. 
just aesthetic, I guess. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So the other cool thing that I want to talk about before we open it up is, and Ashley, you mentioned it before, the soundtrack. Let's talk about the soundtrack. One of my favorite um, in title credit theme songs ever. Ever. So this, I listen to this all the time. Um, I'm trying to think. The the party time song? Yes. (laughs) Like you hear it in the movie, like this is really awesome. And then you listen to the song. It's so dark. Like that is the darkest song. And I've, I've uh, read a little bit about what it is. And, like, you just don't want to know, like, what it's about. <laughs> but, really? Yeah. Oh, now I'm intrigued because I've never actually, I've never investigated that. And they don't really talk too much about the soundtrack in the documentary for some reason. So, come on, you got to give us a hint. So, like, the whole song is about, and forgive me for people listening if I'm not 100% on, on this one, but it's like a little girl's family, like, raped and killed her. And the whole oh song is a horrible event. Yeah, you have to look it up. It's crazy. Um, and it's a real thing that happened. Wow. It's horrible. That's like something not even Danzig would cover. I mean, man, oh, man. I, it's horrible. Like, the actual story behind that song is horrible. It's I love the song, though. Like, it's, I don't know. I just love it. But. Oh yeah, that puts it like a damper on it. Um, you definitely have to look up that backstory. But oh this- man, I didn't realize that. I always just you know um, always had it on in the background. The only thing I could do was sing you the chorus and tell you how cool the riffs are. That's about all you know. I really ever looked into the song. Go look at the lyrics. <laughs> oh man, we'll see. It's it's really a, like a heartbreaking story about something that something terrible that happened to this child but yeah um at, you know as punk rock is though that's pretty on brand because you, like you'll take these like horrible things and it's just like make it really catchy like you have a really good message and it's very catchy so that's you know something that i really like about the genre um one thing i liked about this soundtrack is it introduced me to the cramps who right. is that's like my all-time favorite band now. Um, I love like 1950s sort of rockabilly, uh, st- anything like that. Like I'm huge Elvis fan, huge. Um, wow. Oh, the Cramps is like right up my alley. I love them. So I can never be like thankful enough to this movie for introducing me to them. That's awesome. Jackson, what do you think of the soundtrack? It's totally rad. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, did you know the backstory behind that song, Jackson? No, I, to be honest, I wasn't really listening for any meaning. You know, it's just a bop your head to it kind of thing. But I guess maybe I should analyze the music I'm listening to now. Um, I don't, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I've just like rained on the parade. Like, <laughs> oh, really- no, 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 no. We bring, you got to be real with it. I mean, that's, I mean, but now that I think of it, I mean, you're right. When I think about some of, uh, punk stuff that you know i listened to and a lot of the punk i came to was actually through covers like metallica covers of punk songs like in the garage days ep and and stuff like covering misfit songs and you know stuff like that um other than the kind of classic punk like the ramones and you know the sex pistols the clash that kind of stuff before the kind of hardcore scene came on but 
That's yeah, I didn't know that. That did, but look, some of the Misfit songs are pretty dark too, right? Are. <laughs> um, so I love them so much. It's one of those things where I can't really let my daughter listen to it though, because there's some songs that are like I do not want her to repeat. <laughs> yeah. Um, Especially she, in public when you're like in the store with her, right? That that would be bad. <laughs> she will definitely do it because she loves like anything I listen to. So she, just anything. Um, she sings Queen all the time. So I know if she got into it, she would be singing some terrible things. <laughs> and um, let her do that. So. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Are you telling me that Master Puppets isn't just about puppets? Like that's what I've been telling people. <laughs> right? Sorry, buddy. No. <laughs> have a little talk when you get there, but. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man! Well, I still think the soundtrack is is awesome. I can't really cast you know any stones here because, like I said, I you know I've I've got a couple of Metallica covers that uh, you know I can't really uh, recommend the, lyrically, but I just I love them anyway. So that's just the way it is. But oh man! So all right, let, let's just open this up, Ashley. What do you want to talk about with this movie? So I just think. Like, my favorite thing is this interaction between James Karen and Tom Matthews. Like, mm -hmm. I love they interact together being so different. Um, it makes me think of maybe, like, my own life and how they go through this journey together. Um, <clears throat> like, on a serious note, I think that's kind of a beautiful thing that kind of yeah. unfolds across the movie. And I don't think, like, it gets enough credit. <laughs> so... I, I don't know what you guys kind of think about that, but like they're going through some really heavy stuff here and they don't really know each other that well, but they kind of like bond so quickly going through the same thing together. I just really think that's an interesting aspect to something that's really kind of like a traumatic, horrible movie. Um, I don't know. I just really like that. <laughs> I do too. Jackson, what do you think of uh, Tom Matthews and James Karen together? I think it's awesome, especially, you know, they start off and they're just like touring around the um, around the warehouse and he's telling him the story. It's I don't know. It's, it starts you off really like like a like a campfire tale sort of thing when he's talking about uh, the the U.S. Army and how they messed up and, and accidentally sent out the contaminated, you know, corpses. And then they go down and find out that it's real, and then they're dead. They're slowly turning dead, um, which leads to one of the scariest scenes I think in the whole movie when they when they find out that they're actually dead. Uh, that's that's terrifying. A along with the cremation scene, uh, I think those are the two most harrowing moments in the movie, which are like really serious and not comedic. Yeah, but I I, I really was always struck, and you see this in the documentary. I mean, correct me if you think I'm wrong, Ashley, but they really just kind of hit it off and have an, uh, Tom Matthews and James Karen just had kind of an instant chemistry between the characters. Oh, yeah, they did. And I think that made it so much better. Um, and, and I love how it just like goes right in on it in part two. I know we're not really talking about part two, but I love that it's just kind of the same stuff all over again, but it's kind of like more for <laughs> kin friendly in part two. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, Jackson, what about you? What do you want to throw on the table? Um, I like I just love the idea of these talking intelligent zombies in this movie, which 
if you think about it, are almost vampires. Um, they're kind of close to the creatures in I Am Legend and that they're kind of zombies, kind of vampires, because the classic zombie is kind of stumbling, not intelligent, nonverbal. All they want to do is consume. Uh, and these are intelligent zombies. I mean, they can use tools. They can talk occasionally. And um, they they want to convert other people, you know. They're kind of almost vampires. It's, it's a weird mix. Um, and I would like to see that in more movies, I think, the, the this twist on the zombies. I don't know why uh, Quentin Tarantino doesn't like the reinvention of the creature because I think that's always interesting. I feel like that's a really good point um, because they do talk and they can reason. And, like, so obviously everyone's favorite thing is to be, like, send more paramedics. Like, Right, <laughs> like, yeah. It's so iconic. Like, even people who have not seen the movie know, like, that's a thing. And so they're sitting there, they're reasoning, they're strategizing, coming up with ways to trap these humans. And it, I think that's a really great point that you just made. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, Jackson. It never struck me. It always struck me as kind of just part of the comedy that they talk, but you're right. That's they're very different that way. So it's a really different twist that Dan O'Bannon, you know, kind of put on that and so that's interesting and yeah you're right i mean but if somebody does another version of that other than the sequels which we'll, we'll touch on briefly but um do you think that would work jackson after return of the living dead sure um you, you just mean in general like zombie movies would come out and the zombies would be more intelligent we well, think it would be unfairly compared to return of the living dead or you think it'd be put uh. off Maybe it might be compared, but I think the general populace wouldn't really remember that that's where it came from. I think they would just be interested to see a different take on it. Um, I, I would be interested in seeing that in, in an intelligent, an intelligent zombie. But like I said, it kind of almost crosses the line into vampire territory. If if there was garlic and blood involved, then it would be a vampire because that's basically all it is: an undead ghoul who feasts on others and has been, you know, converted by another. Uh, who's kind of intelligent, but uh, that's kind of where I Am Legend is. Like I mentioned earlier, there are these zombie vampire things, which are really interesting, I think, and we need more movies with that kind of creature. Yeah. It's interesting when they have the um, half corpse on the table, and she's just like, you know, we're doing this because of the pain, and they don't really explore that as much as maybe they could have, except in part three. Um, they kind of explore right. that some more. Um, I thought that was very interesting. So it's like they're not really trying to stay alive. It just really hurts to be dead. And they just, you know, they're trying to relieve that pain. Right. And and so I don't know, Jackson, have you seen any of the sequels? No. I've, I've seen that they're on Tubi TV, but I haven't uh, given them a watch because the posters look more and more ridiculous as they go on. <laughs> it's so crazy. It's it's really ridiculous, but I feel like it's a fair sequel. I love it. So what do you think? So you love part two, Ashley. What did you think of part three? I am not a fan. So the only one and two, yes, love them. Number three, I don't feel keeps the spirit. It's a little too serious for me. Um, and it's, so isolated there's not enough of the like corpses for my taste so yeah i don't i haven't revisited that one often i mean i have it but you know. gotcha i mean it's gotten a lot of 
love. I know when it first came out, it kind of flopped, but it, it has kind of had a rebirth as of late. I've heard the guys on Shockwaves talk about that they really like part three. Um, but you're right. You, you point out uh, uh, something really that I hadn't thought about, which was there is a huge break in tone between two and three. Oh, yeah. And and that's fine. And I'm not saying it's a bad movie. I think for what it is, it is a good movie. Um, I just would like it to not be part of the franchise. You would you like know? it to be a standalone. Yeah, I feel like it's better that way. If I talk about it as a franchise, it just doesn't feel right. So it just feels like maybe they took the same concept and made a totally different type of film. You may be right, and who knows? I mean, how many Hellraisers have we had that were essentially another movie where they just threw Pinhead in? Right. <laughs> yeah, we've had so many of them. I mean, um, so many franchises in the past, though. Like, I will watch every single Friday the 13th and love it. And there's some stuff in there <laughs> that should not be. But for some reason, I just cannot accept this movie as a part of, part of this franchise. I don't know. Well, I no, I get it. I mean, the the tone thing makes perfect sense. I mean, I don't, I don't dislike part three. I think it's, I think Melinda Clark's very good in it. Um, yeah, but I just, you're you're right. It doesn't have the same fun tone. Whereas part two, um, I thought had a lot of weaknesses, but I think it does have that same tone, which I like. And it's it almost goes a little too far, like in part two. Once you get to the end and there's like a Michael Jackson zombie, it's like, yeah. okay. Stop. Oh no. Please. I have missed out on this movie. <laughs> yes, you, have. you have to go watch it. You just have to. Yeah, I remember there go. just like the kid being like, is that Michael Jackson? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's were you weird. looking for, were you looking for like Corey Feldman to be behind <laughs> him as well? Or? Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> what is the, yeah. Uh. <laughs> oh man uh yeah iowa jackson i would say it is worth watching two two and three now that's those are the only I, ones i've seen i haven't seen anything <sighs> else that has re, has return of the living dead on it i've only seen those three um but i like all three I, but i only love one i mean I, one is the i have seen two probably twice i've seen three twice but this mm -hmm. one i've probably seen a dozen times I've watched this movie so much, like, it's embarrassing. I don't want to say how much. It's just my go-to, so. Yeah, and I watch number two a lot, too. I actually really love that movie. And a thing about number two is, um, this brings me back to why I love VHS so much. VHS was the only place I could find number two with the original score for so long because when Warner Brothers took it, they did not want to buy the rights to the music. So they changed all of it and it's horrible. So the DVD version or any blue that's not Scream Factory is not good. And it does not have the original score. Um, Scream Factory did come out with part two recently, maybe in the last few years and restored all of that. So now it's back to what it sh should be. But Ugh. sometimes the VHS is worth it because you lose things in the process of, you know, restoring it through different types of media. That's a good point. Yeah, I didn't know that. I, I and I don't remember which version I. I know I watched the original on VHS, but the second time I think I watched it on TV, and I can't even remember. 
you know, what I, I just wasn't paying that much attention to the music, but that's good to know. And God bless Scream Factory. They, you know, know. they've just done such an amazing job. Oh, I worship at their altar. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to get the, was it, they finally have My Bloody Valentine and April Fool's Day. The original, originals are both coming out. I can't wait for that. So, what else? Anything else, Ashley, you want to talk about with Re- Return of the Living Dead? I don't think so. Um, I'm so bad at talking, so. <laughs> no, you're doing great. You're doing great. So, Jackson, what about you? What else do you want to put on the proverbial slab? I just have one last thing to say, and that's in reference to the ending, which is one of the the bleakest endings I've ever seen. It almost nears <laughs> comedic and how bleak it is. It's almost like trauma-esque okay, how... Yeah. The entire city just gets nuked, and he's like, oh, you were close to being at perfect target, you know, 20 blocks at most lost in, in the and and he's like, the, the, the rain will put out the fires. Yeah, right, dude. That's going to resurrect all the corpses. Right. They, they had no idea. Yeah, so that was the part. It's like, oh, this is never going to stop, ever. Uh, Colonel Glover is one thing I want to talk about. I think he is so hilarious because when you flash to those scenes, it's so serious. It's yeah. just like army guy, like, okay, we've got to take care of this thing. And he's like yelling at his wife and it's just, and he returns in part two, the same guy. I just thought, I was like, wow, that's, I don't know. Like the coming to that is so funny to me because it's like silly and then very serious. Yeah, I love the part when he comes home and his wife, he's like, what's for dinner? And she's like, your favorite, lamb chops. He's like, had that for lunch, and then just leaves the room. <laughs> he's so ultra serious about everything. It's great. Man, like, be more rude, okay? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I, I I always wondered this, though. I'm glad you brought up the ending, because that jogged my memory, Jackson. Um, I always wondered this. So Dan O'Bannon and John Carpenter were best buddies through USC, they get out of USC, they make Dark Star together. And then shortly after Dark Star is shown to like their USC pals and they've made a real movie and all kind of stuff, Carpenter hears that O'Bannon is taking all the credit for it and everything. And so Carpenter takes him out to lunch and says, We're go- dude, we, we just need to go our own ways. And so then roughly 10 years later, Dan O'Bannon writes the script and has essentially a zombie apocalypse and the apocalypse nuked in Kentucky, the state home of John Carpenter. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> I, I wonder if that was intentional. It's like an interesting little, um, I would almost, I'm trying to say subtweet, not subtweet, but you know, like. <laughs> a little subtext there, maybe just a little bit. I'm living on Twitter right now, but yeah, um, like that almost seems 100% what happened <laughs> i'm pretty funny. sure especially given dan o'bannon's kind of eccentric personality yeah. i can i can definitely see that so i've never read anything about it being the case but i would do that <laughs> well no but you know you wouldn't have guns laying around your house and pornography oh. on when it when an actor was coming over to audition either so i mean right. you know it's he it was he was a strange guy um what do you think jackson am i reaching there buddy Oh, I I love that reading of it, um, and I, it does seem like something that he would do, absolutely. And um, now with that context, the ending has got to be much better. Yeah, it's almost like he had to do that just so he could like get a dig in. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's cathartic. Yeah, the apocalypse <laughs> is coming from Kentucky, John. You're home. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, let uh, I think I know we're all coming in on here, but let's rate uh, and review recommend this. Um, Ashley, on a scale of one to 10, I guess I know where you're coming in, but what would you say to people? No, maybe a 10. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe. Yeah, just maybe a 10. And, and so when you, but here's the interesting thing if you're going to tell people to buy it, in what format should they buy it? VHS? So here's how you should buy it you should buy a VHS. They have them on eBay. Um, <laughs> that is the best way to watch this. It just is. Um, but there, I think there's a screen Blu- Blu-ray that you should definitely pick up. That I have almost every blue that has come out of it. So mm-hmm. pick up anything like DVDs, Blu-rays. It doesn't matter. I have like 10 million of them sitting up there for whatever reason, like feeding my addiction. So. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, yeah, I'm gonna have to get a like a third job just to pay for all my Blu-rays, for, especially from Scream Factory. So, uh, but I will have to. I have a VHS player, so Jackson, maybe I can pick up uh, one on eBay and we can watch it this Christmas break when you're home from school. But so I will go ahead and say, yeah, it's a ten out of ten for me. When I did my walkthrough, if you follow me on Letterboxd, you know I've been going from 1972 on, going year by year, and watching as many movies as I can, and re- doing a top ten list. This was my number one for 1985, um, and I gave it a 10 out of 10. I mean, I, I love this movie. I love everything about this movie, even with its few flaws, even though Dan O'Bannon, you know, he may have been a jerk, but it's, it, you know, he pulled it off. So, all right, Jackson, where are you coming in at? Because you're usually lower than me, so. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still coming in high. I'm coming in at a 9 out of 10. For Return of the Living Dead, uh, I would say buy it on whatever platform you feel most comfortable. Um, but uh, I mean, I can't talk myself into buying a, a VHS because as much as I would love to, that'll just spiral into something that I'm not ready for. Oh yeah, <laughs> it does. So I have anywhere I go, I look for a thrift shop. Like I have to look through all of it. I need to know if there's a horror movie VHS. Even if I don't like that movie, I pick it up. That is how real it is. It's wow. like, yeah. It's, seriously, you have to. You have to. All right. Well, we may have to get that going when you're home, buddy. But I know you. You. We've talked about this. You're. You're about ready to have to like sleep in your bathtub because of all the DVDs and you've got <laughs> hanging around oh, yeah. your. <laughs> mm-hmm. With your between your musical instruments and your DVDs and your and your Funko Pop, you know, and that kind of stuff. You're you're running out of space there, buddy. Um, oh yeah. I mean, the the uh, TLC show Hoarders would love my house. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. So, all right. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for being on. It's been a blast. And so where can people find you online? Um, maybe it's not advisable, but you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram at Barely Ashley. Um, I'm on Facebook. You can look me up there. I'm on the Land of the Creeps uh, group. You can find me through that if you want to add me to Facebook. And I'm just extremely silly person, so beware. <laughs> ah, it's worth it. I follow you on Twitter. So, and I know that Greg, uh, Greg Amortis in the last episode of Land of the Creeps was like calling you out. So where are you? You're supposed to call in, Ashley. Um, so busy. But yeah, he called me out. I was like, how dare you? 
<laughs> well, he had been drinking his Jim Beam honey, so cut him a little bit of slag. <laughs> All right, Jackson, where can people find you, buddy? On Letterboxd, I'm at Kane Hero. That's K-A-I-N-E-H-E-R-O. Uh, and on Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero 12. I've got a YouTube channel, and that's in the link. Uh, it's linked in the bio, but this website. All right. Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd and on Twitter at Pastor Matt R. More importantly, you can find uh, the father and son watch horror.com or, or where we occasionally blog. You can also find uh, the father and son watch horror on Twitter and on Instagram. And we have a closed uh, Facebook group. If you send me a friend request, let me know who you are. I can add you to that if uh, if you want. Uh, I think Dr. Shock posts more on there than I do, which we appreciate. <laughs> uh, so but you can find us there. And so uh, I want to thank everyone uh, for their support. I got another email uh, this week. And so uh, loving the show. And so uh, that Jackson, you forwarded to me and, you know, I appreciate that. We're starting to get some emails for some screeners and stuff like that. We appreciate that very much. And so please go to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and, and, rate and review us we would appreciate a five-star review but uh beggars can't be choosers right so but we really appreciate you listening we're blown away uh by the number of downloads we've had i think my wife showed me the other day because she keeps up to something like forty-two thousand or something like that so it's really appreciated and so we're going to continue to have as many guests as we can we'll be going through christmas as much as we can i know jackson you've got finals coming up and mm -hmm. so it's a busy time but we will try to squeeze some podcast episodes there in the future I want to thank jackson for the theme music and he's got some new theme music for our christmas episodes that will be coming out and uh, want to thank all those who keep giving us shout outs uh, whether it be hnp or whether it be land of the creeps we really appreciate that as well love all you guys and everyone out in the horror community so that being said this has been episode 25 we will be back soon jackson say good night to the good people good night and remember to mind the third step <laughs> nice very nice all right guys thanks for listening and remember the family that watches horror movies together stays together see ya <laughs>